You're listening to episode 44 of season 12 of the GNU World Order for October 28, 2018. This is Clatu, and I am not actually here, by which I mean right now in real life. I am on my way back from Open All Things Open uh, conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm sure it was a great conference, but uh, as I'm implying, I'm actually recording this episode in advance. So, I mean, there might be an episode forthcoming where I'm, I've am i recorded from the airport or from the hotel room, who knows, or, or possibly, hopefully, maybe some interviews, but we'll just see how it goes. Um, I'm not talking at the conference. I wasn't talking at the conference this year, so hopefully I'll have some spare time to get around and talk to people on the record, but we'll find out. We'll see. Who knows what's happened. So I am recording this in early October, so if you've emailed me really in October at all, then I have not seen your... well, I have not been able to, to respond on the show to your email, and the reason is because this this entire month has been pre-recorded. So hopefully I'll be back on sort of a... Uh, a more real-time schedule next month in November. Okay, that's that's all of that up front. In this episode, I just it's, it'll be a fairly quick one, I think. It's a really sort of um, you know, in hindsight, it's like a tip for something super obvious. But I think it's always interesting to look at how we arrive at solutions. And the solution I have today is regarding Grub default, setting your your default launch item in Grub. I will talk about what Grub is, I will talk about why it's taken me four years to figure it out, and why it should have taken me a lot less than that. And you know, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking about it right now, I don't think we're going to have enough content this episode to justify a coffee break. And I'm just wondering if we, uh, I mean, does it, is it written anywhere that we can't take a coffee break now, at the very beginning of the show? Let's do it. Let's just pull over, whatever you're doing, just stop what you're doing. Go get a cup of coffee. I'll go do that, and and then we'll come back and we'll start the show. Okay, I'm back. I've got coffee, and uh, it is a good one. It is a good mug of coffee. Now, usually when I go to conferences, one of my favorite things is all the all the free coffee that you get. And I know that I'm uh, I'm not really I'm not a college student anymore. I should not be this excited about free food and free coffee, but it's just ingrained in me. I get really excited about free coffee and free food and that sort of thing. Uh, not that I expect free food at the conference as such, but uh, there will be some of that, I happen to know, because of the, the I'm being sponsored to go there, so a lot of my expenses have been paid, so that's kind of nice. And, and it yeah, it's a great, great thing. It's a super huge uh, privilege to have, to have that, that sort of free stuff thrown your way from time to time. I mean, not that it requires a sponsor for that, usually. I, I tended to find either free or cheap food and free coffee anyway, even when it wasn't being offered to me. But but this is nice because it's just there. It's you know, it's there. Like in the in the morning of the All Things Open conference, if you I mean, you know, you get I get up early usually in the morning, so I, I go down to the cafe and have coffee first. But then once you get to the conference, y- you walk in and there's this there's more free coffee there. There are coffee cart well at least the the last two times I was there, 
there were coffee stands, uh, just and you just fill up your cup and you're good. In fact, it's always a little bit sad because around the afternoon, you know, I, I probably even at noon when I'm ready for my sixth cup or whatever it is, they're just they 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 figure everyone's had coffee now, so they're surely everyone's finished and they put it away. I just wish I could just kind of encourage them to keep the coffee tables out longer. Coffee with lunch is a great experience. Now this episode, I want to talk about something that I usually don't talk about. I usually don't, I usually take the option of just kind of a no comment on this subject, and that is Grub, or specifically Grub 2 now. And the reason I usually take a no comment pass on that is because I really don't use it. And when I don't use something, I typically find it difficult to comment on, really. I mean, it's it's just difficult to have anything intelligent to say on something that you don't really use. Now, my gut instinct was, has been, that I don't really love it. Because the times I have used it, it has not treated me well in, in a couple of very specific uh, instances, or in specific ways. And I'm, I'm not saying that I am a grub convert now, but I am saying that having sat down and looked into Grub and really tried to understand it, I've, I've finally come to peace with Grub. And I, I frankly, I don't, I don't think I would mind using Grub from time to time. In fact, I am using Grub on my desktop, and that's kind of, that's how I came to peace with it, really. And it took a while. I mean, technically speaking, it, it's taken over four years, but, but I'll give you a little bit of background on that. But first, let's just talk about what Grub is, in case someone listening doesn't know what Grub is. So, I mean, if, if you've used Linux and you're listening, then technically you know what Grub is, even if you don't know what Grub is. Um, but possibly, you, you know, if you're either, if you haven't even tried Linux yet, or if you have, but you just don't tend to pay attention to the little technical names of all the different components that gets your computer up and running, then that's, that's okay. That's, you wouldn't know what Grub is. So Grub, is, it stands for the Grand, that's the G-R, Unified bootloader all one string bootloader it's not grubble it's just grub and what that means is that when you turn on your computer your computer needs to know where where to 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 look for its next step now a lot of operating systems hide this step from you and don't don't mistake that for them not having a bootloader they still have a bootloader when you boot windows for instance there's a moment in... Well, okay, so first of all, sorry, let me back up. You may be familiar, you might not be familiar, with the BIOS boot option. And that's when you press a special button. It's usually one of the F keys, the function keys on the top of your keyboard. I'll talk about an exception to that later. Uh, and you, you you click that, and then your your computer, you go into like this weird, funky DOS-looking screen, and you can choose which device to to boot from. Like if you've got a thumb drive or a CD-ROM, a DVD-ROM or whatever in your drive, or you can boot off the hard drive. So that's that's the boot selector built into the motherboard of the computer. That's not what I'm talking about. There's another thing that once your BIOS has chose has figured out where it should look for a bootable system, and it usually defaults to the internal hard drive because that's that's the obvious choice generally. So once your your computer's figured you found your hard drive, then then the hard drive itself loads something and that something is a bootloader and that bootloader decides where should I look for the actual OS. And as I was saying before I interrupted myself about the BIOS footnote, other operating systems have a bootloader. They just generally mostly hide it from you. So when you boot for instance Windows, there there's 
there are some cases, especially if you put a Windows upgrade disk in your computer, there are some cases, or, or I think any bootable CD, possibly, or ISO, or whatever, DVD, um, but there are some cases where you'll start Windows, and it, it you'll, you'll see on your screen a black screen with some white text, and it'll say something like, uh, hit any key to boot from CD or to boot from a disk, or something like that. I'm not sure. I haven't seen it enough to know it off the top of my head. But you may have seen it before. So that is that is a bootloader function, because there's this interrupt where it says, okay, I know the bootloader itself sort of says, okay, I know that there's a an operating system here on this drive. I can I can see that that exists, but I can also see that there's one over here on this removable disk, optical disk, or, or thumb drive, or whatever. So... I'd better I'd better let the user decide which way they want to go. On Mac OS, if you hit the option key during boot, you can see the EFI equivalent of a of a bootloader. So or well I guess that's really the equivalent of the of the BIOS, so maybe that's not a fair a fair comparison. But but even on the, the on, on Mac OS, there there's a moment during the boot that it has to figure out where its kernel is where the operating system kernel is on the drive and it has to grab hold of that kernel load it into memory and then boot so generally speaking there's some kind of bootloader like activity happening when you first start your computer it's just whether or not we're aware of it that that might differ from operating system to operating system now on linux and and within the open source world you can have there are different bootloaders that you could choose from and and grub is one of those and Grub and and I think most Linux bootloaders really they kind of assume that that you want it's that the default behavior is to stop when you when you start your computer it lo- it it loads up the bootloader and then it it waits for your input usually for some seconds you know it's like five second ten second whatever your timeout of choice happens to be but it stops and it lets you choose where you want to boot. And this is a really, really handy little system. I like it a lot. I love it as the default because that, to me, just makes sense. I'm I'm the kind of computer user that when I've started a computer, let's say five times out of ten, I, I don't want to just start into the operating system that, that I usually start into. Five out of ten might be high. The point is that there's there's some number of times, and, and that number of times is enough that I find it really convenient that my computer pauses during boot to let me choose what I want to actually boot into. Could I lower that that moment down to something really, really minimal, like a one-second pause? Yeah, actually I could, and, and that, that would be fine, because then the assumption is that you'll start your computer, there'll be a one-second window in there that if you, if you hit a key, then, you know, you, you, the timer stops, and it pauses, and it says, okay, now you've You've told me that you want to stay on this screen, so where do you want to go? And then you can proceed from there. And I've done that before. I've definitely done that on my um, on my main laptop. I've had it at a very minimal um, sort of pause time. So the bootloader just flashes on there. Usually just really, you know, you, you kind of blink and you'll miss it. But if you know it's it's going to happen, then you'll, you'll know that you need to be poised, and then you'll press the button. And then you're in the bootloader screen, and you can continue uh, as you please. So that's that's the bootloader situation on Linux, and 
Two of the most popular bootloaders, I reckon, are, are Grub and Lilo, or eLilo for EFI systems. And Slackware ships with Lilo, L-I-L-O, and so it's the one that I typically default to on my main computers. On my primary computers, that's what I, that's what I use, Lilo, because that's, that's what comes with the installer. Now, I could install Grub on Slackware, or, by the same token, I could... I could install something like Fedora on a on a laptop and then go back and install Lilo on that machine and get rid of Grub. So I have control over that. It's just whether or not anyone actually cares that much about which bootloader they're using to bother. And and generally speaking, one doesn't. As long as the computer starts up, gives you a little bit of an option to override the defaults during boot and then that you, and then you can proceed onto the the standard you know, your, your expected result of the operating system. I think most people are happy with whatever they happen to get. Some of the advantages of Grub over Lilo are that Grub is highly, highly automatable. So, for instance, if you're on a Fedora machine, and I'll use that as the example because that's the, that's the machine that I have running Grub forever. It's the, it's my work laptop and that's just, Fedora has as far as back as I can remember, has used Grub. So that's just been my main experience. And so if you're on Fedora and you tell it to uh, upgrade the system, and it's got a kernel upgrade maybe, that's a big change because that actually alters how the computer's going to boot. Now with Grub, it is trivial, I will say, to install a new kernel and then to kick off a Grub event that recognizes that, hey, there's a new kernel present, so I'll make a new Grub entry... I'll move that entry to the top of the list. I'll keep the three latest kernels, uh, or or the other kernels that are present, which usually Fedora defines, you know, as the latest three or or whatever it is. And and then I'll scan the system again to make sure nothing else has been installed, like any other operating systems. And if there are any other operating systems on on a second internal drive or or whatever, then I'll add those to the menu entry as well. And then you have this nice, fresh, new Grub menu when you reboot your computer next time. The top default option being whatever the latest kernel you have just upgraded to, and and then the other options being sensible auto-detected alternatives. Generally, that works pretty well. Not always, but generally, that works pretty well. And I say not always because there are weird edge cases, which I'll get into in a little while. Lilo, you don't really... There's not really a system like that for Lilo. Lilo is a manual entry. It's one configuration file. You go in there, you type in where your hard drive is and where to look on that hard drive for the compressed kernel image, and then you run the Lilo command so that all the correct information from that configuration file can be copied into the the um, the the boot uh, direct uh, the boot partition, and 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 that's how the thing works. So if you upgrade your kernel on Slackware, for instance, you need to manually update Lilo, and and that's something that you need to do, or else it doesn't work correctly. And recovery from from not updating your bootloader on with Lilo is is difficult. You you you'd have to either boot off of uh, install media and then cheroot into your system and fix Lilo manually, or if you have a, a boot drive with uh, a bootloader and sort of an external bootloader that you could use to get to the system, then that that could work as as well, depending on what you have available. So it, it can be a little bit difficult. Whereas Grub, when you boot into Grub, you have uh, at least two options one of which is uh, the press E on your keyboard and you can edit the entries. So if something has gone wrong in the Grub configuration, you could edit that, assuming you know the right information to put in, which, I mean, that's that's making an assumption. You may not 
know what to change it to. You also have the, uh, I think if you hit C uh, at Grub, you get a command line interface so that you can do some rudimentary tasks. It's not a full Unix shell or anything, but it's it's a it's it's got some built-in Grub commands that you can do. And uh, I use the reboot one frequently, or I don't know why, I just do. Um, and yeah, that, that works pretty well. So Grub is, is pretty flexible. People like it for that. And um, in the past, I have, I have done most of my Grub work for other people. So it's, it's configuring other people's computers or fixing other people's computers or setting it up in some way that it doesn't annoy them, that sort of thing. And Grub has traditionally given me a lot of problems. Now, one of, the, one of my problems, and this is always an unfair one, so I'm just going to get it out of the way first and foremost, it was during the transition from Grub, well, we just called it Grub, to Grub 2, which we also now call just Grub. But, but there was this transition time when things were switching over from, well, this is how Grub works. And in Grub, you go in and you edit these configuration files, and you do this and you do that, and that's it. But now we're on Grub 2, which bizarrely was numbered Grub 1.99 for a very long time. So I could never really quite sure, I was never really quite sure, is this Grub 1 or is this Grub 2? It was, or maybe I'm confused and it was always Grub 1. Either way, I, it was a very confusing transitionary time. And, and, I, and, and it was largely because in Grub 2, from what I've read, you're not, it is not expected necessarily that you're going to go into your configuration files and edit edit grub entries yourself you're you're supposed to from what again from what i understand from what i've read i think the expectation is that you run grub commands now if you type in grub at your on your keyboard right now on into a terminal and then hit tab a couple of times you'll see that you have like 12 different grub commands there's grub dash this grub dash that and then that's not even all of them there's a, a secret one called update dash grub which doesn't even start with grub so you can't even find it intuitively by typing so it's it's there's a lot of moving parts in the modern grub world and that is not appealing to me to put it bluntly that's just not that's not the that's not the design that i tend to to favor lilo with a single configuration file that's much more my speed that said i have my tower and my tower has lots of hard drives in it and i like to test different things so what i've what I'd been doing to, if I installed, you know, let's say, SUSE on one hard drive and I've got my Slackware drive as usual, what I would do traditionally is just I would lie during the install process and tell it, oh, you're the only drive on this computer, so install your, your bootloader to the, the, to the beginning, to the, the head of your, of, the, of your hard drive. So when I would turn on my computer, it would default to the to what I've told it to default to, which is my Slackware drive, and it would just go straight to Lilo. And now if I wanted to switch it, I would hit F8 on my keyboard, because that's the motherboard snag key to get into the menu, and I would just I would just arrow down to a different drive. And and that's a little bit it's a little bit raw. It's a little bit old school. I'm doing I'm I'm interfacing with, with UEFI technically. It looks like BIOS, but it's UEFI. And no one would call that an elegant solution, but I mean, it works, and it works for me fine. But at some point, I thought, you know what I should be doing, really, is I should be installing these things onto their drives, and then I should just go into my Lilos uh, configuration and tell it where to find the bootable systems. And that way I can just, I can boot my computer as usual, not snag, and, and choose my bootable 
partition or, or hard drive rather from Lilo. And I did that for a while. And then finally I thought, you know what I really, really should do is I should just use Grub and let Grub magically figure everything else, uh, figure everything out. So I installed Grub and, um, I think we've talked about on this episode, on this, uh, podcast before about this command called os-prober. And you can find that, well, I don't know where you can find it, but I can find it by just typing it in because it's on Slackware and that's why we've talked about it. os-prober. And that runs, that runs this, this, as far as I can tell, sort of a self-standing application that scans all, all devices in your computer for operating systems, for detectable operating systems, and then it enumerates them to your terminal. It's, it's nice and clean. It just tells you what's available. It doesn't actually result in anything other than information. And that command itself, os-prober, is utilized by the grub toolchain. So there's another command uh, related to grub, I guess. And the idea is that you can run a grub uh, a grub update. Actually, it's an update-grub. Um, and it will kick off this os-prober thing, I think, and then integrate the feedback from os-prober into a configuration file, which it then sort of compiles down and copies into slash boot so that when you boot your computer, the grub menu appears. And the grub menu references whatever information it obtained from OSProber, uh, using OSProber as the ID values at least, and possibly more. I'm not sure. I haven't looked that deeply into it. So that's the process. That's the theory. And it, it generally works pretty well. Now, I have discovered through no fault, you know, by no fault really of OS Prober or Grubs, that if if I leave bits and pieces of operating systems lying around on drives, which I am wont to do on my desktop, because I'm I'm switching things out a lot. I, I mess around with my desktop a fair amount. So if I leave like a, a fragment, you know, just just the just the f- first part of a of a system that once booted and then mounted another drive as its you know home and var and temp directories. Well, Grub doesn't know that it's an incomplete operating system, and so it'll pick up stuff that I never intended for it to pick up and present it to me in the menu. And I guess that's the that's the trade off, right? You can either have Grub automatically detect everything, but thereby detecting everything sort of forcing you into being more tidy really with your system layout which not a horrible pay not a horrible um demand or you can use lilo which won't detect anything but you can lie to it essentially you know and and you can filter out the stuff that you don't want it to bother with really and again i i've got to admit i'm leaning towards lilo for myself on an everyday basis it's just that to me makes more sense to me because i know what's active what's not active what's important what's not important and i i just i would i think i would rather put that into lilo myself that said grub is working grub is working fine as long as i then apply my filter to oh, that's not a real system ignore that to the menu that grub then presents to me i have had very little luck so far in kind of stepping in and saying don't worry about that system, like blacklist that as a menu item. I don't want to see that on my Grub menu ever. I've not been able to do that, and admittedly, I haven't given it a fair go. But I've I've looked into it, and and it hasn't been great. So I, I feel like Grub, me and Grub, 
we are always colliding with each other because Grub always wants to do everything in a very kind of programmatic way. And I want to do, I want to structure my system with a lot of exceptions that don't make any computering sense. It's just, it's just how I want things to look or to, or to, to perform or to act. And, and that's, that's fine. That's just a, that's just a thing that happens when, when you are, you know, it's, it's a payoff. It's a trade-off. Now, the other thing that I used to think was a trade-off, but I have finally figured out, was achieving the default boot option in Grub. I've got to say this has been one of the most puzzling things I've experienced in the boot process of Linux. And that's probably saying a lot, because the boot process of, I mean, booting a computer, that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge thing, right? I honestly feel like that, that part I basically understand. The, the grub thing, it took me years and years to figure this out. So here, here's the, the situation, right? With, with old grub, in order to choose your default entry, you, you go in and edit a configuration file and save it and you're done. Or, or something like that. But with grub2, you don't really do that so much anymore, and there was this new command, supposedly, called grub-set-default. I, I, this is based on some hazy memories, so if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm getting the chronology and the timeline incorrect, forgive me. But this is kind of like the process that I went through, which is not the correct process, and, and I'll reveal why at the end of it. So I learned about this grub-set-default command, probably from the internet, and figured, okay, well, that seems pretty straightforward. So I type it into my into my system, uh, grub-set-default, and return. And it tells me, well, I don't have... You, you, I require an argument uh, of, of a menu item. So how to get the menu items contained in grub? I wasn't really sure about that, although now that I'm reading my tab selections better, I see that there is something called grub-menu-lst2-config. I wonder if that does what I want it to do. I'm going to read the man page. No, it transforms leg legacy menu.lists into grub.cfgs. Yeah, so I think I'm right about the old grub. I think formerly you could edit menu.lst yourself, possibly, and, and that would just be the stuff that showed up in your menu. And as of Grub 2, it seemed, it felt to me like no matter what you did, Grub was going to auto-probe and it was going to put whatever it wanted to into your menu entry or your menu, your Grub menu. And, and that was it. That was, that was how Grub worked, or Grub 2. So anyway, uh, Grub-set-default needs this numerical argument, it says. And I think it says numerical or, or the ID. And so I would, I... I couldn't figure out how to get a list of all the menu items, so I rebooted, counted. Um, I assumed that it started at zero, so I counted one, zero, one, two, three, four. Okay, so I want the fourth menu item in Grub to be the default menu item. So when I boot my computer, if I go then go walk away and get a cup of coffee, I want to come back and have Grub having timed out. I want it to have gone to the fourth menu item and booted into that system. That was my that was my target. Okay, so grub dash set dash default space four return no error that's cool it must have worked silence is golden on unix so perfect so reboot and grub comes up and it's still the zeroth menu item is the default that's weird okay so get back into the system grub dash set dash default four 
still seems to work, but okay. So let's let's look at some configuration files. So I look at a configuration file in slash Etsy slash default slash grub, I think it was. And in that configuration file, it says, first of all, at the top of the list says, update grub if you change this menu, if you change this file. And I thought, well, that that this file is probably changed by grub-set-default. So I will run grub-set-default and then run update dash uh, four and then run update dash grub and so that's what I did and then I rebooted still the zeroth menu item okay get back into the system sounds like set grub set default is not necessarily working the way it's intended so I'm going to become root and edit manually slash etsy slash default slash grub it didn't say not to in fact it says if you do edit this file then run update grub so it, it's almost kind of inviting me to so there is the in that configuration file if you look at it there is a line that says the, almost the top you know the top the first option is grub underscore default equals zero and I thought okay cool so I will change the zero to a four because that's what I want the default to be. I will then run update uh, dash grub or whatever, and um, and then that'll that'll work. So I, I I give that a go and reboot, and it's still the zeroth menu item. Very strange. So I get back into the system. I look into slash boot slash grub slash grub dot cfg, and I think another file in there was the grub env and for some reason at the top of grub env it said something about you know grub default 4 or something like that it was it was some there was some indication there that 4 had been detected and 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 was the default but it just wasn't taking it it seemed really strange to me so i kind of played around with a couple of other things i read some articles online about the process and everything was telling me that grub-set-default is the thing that i need to run and and it just seemed like that was the that was what needed to happen. So finally, somewhere, some message, some error message, or some some note in a configuration file mentioned the info pages for for Grub. And I thought, well, that's a really good idea. Haven't actually haven't actually read the the documentation for this stuff. I've read commentary about the documentation online. I've read error messages from the applications that appear to be working, but I haven't actually read the docs. That was a mistake. So I read the documentation to Grub, for the Grub system, and pretty early on it mentions that the values for Grub underscore default, the valid values are 0, the integer 0, or the string saved. S-A-V-E-D. Now, first of all, I'm going to make a little bit of a comment on on sort of intuitiveness and configuration. So when I see something called grub underscore default, I, I, I would think, especially if there was a command called grub dash set dash default that requires a, an integer as an argument, that to me says that the grub underscore default, the expected value for that key would be an integer, where the integer represents the menu item of the grub menu. And furthermore, I would I would assume in a configuration file that a value like that grub underscore default, I would think that if it was zero for some, for one thing, then then the the expected type of that configuration would be an integer, no matter what. So maybe it's not a four, but surely it would be like a zero or a one, sort of an off and an on. But no, strangely, this this variable takes either an integer zero or a string saved. And that, to me, is very not 
not intuitive at all. I, I feel like that is almost misleading. I, I, I would say it's almost trying to trick you, you know? It's, it's here's a grub default thing. You know that command that, that would you would think would invoke this very, that would set this very variable that, that asks you for an integer or an ID? So maybe even, I would even go so far as to say, okay, so maybe it's a, a 0, 1, 2, 3, or 4, or 5, or 6, or whatever, you know, the integer of a menu item or the OS prober ID of the menu item that has been found. And, and indeed, if you look at a grub menu, grub.cfg, you can look in there and see the menu items, and you can see that each one... Uh, doesn't have a number, if I recall correctly, but it does have a a, a title, which is kind of the um, human friendly. I was going to say human readable, but it's all human readable. So human friendly name of that partition. So it might be Slackware space fourteen dot two or whatever, and then another one that might say Ubuntu space sixteen o four or whatever. You know, so that sort of friendly looking thing. And then there's the ID, the which which starts with OS dash prober dash, and then a big, long, unique identifier number that you'd never remember. So so I would think, okay, grub default is going to be either one of those values. It would be the integers, not in quotes, because it's just an integer, or the title in quotes, because probably the space would throw things off, or the uh, ID, probably in quotes again, because it's a string, so just to be safe, we'll put it in quotes. None of those things are true, though. The The actual truth of it is that it's either grub underscore default equals zero, or grub underscore default equals saved. Now, what is what is that even referring to? I, I don't actually know. I don't, I mean, I, I guess something saved, right? And, and it turns out that, bizarrely, so when you run grub-set-default, you're sort of somewhere you're setting a value to to something, either 0 or 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 or whatever, or to the ID of the hard drive or to the title of the hard drive, although they, they discourage the title. So it's it's either, realistically, it's either the menu item integer or the ID, you know, the unique identifier of that of that entry. And that's what grub-set-default does. So you're, you're essentially, you are just setting a variable that, that, that seems to be temporary, or maybe it's not temporary, but it's, it's isolated. So it, it's just, it, it stores some information somewhere. And when you run update grub, update-grub, it doesn't invoke that variable. It doesn't grab onto that variable at all, necessarily. By default, it does not. And, and that's it. So, to me, I, I feel like the grub-set-default command, intuitively, would imply that it's going to set the variable and then use that variable and kick off a update-grub process to then integrate that variable into the grub menu. That That is what I would expect. But actually what happens is none of those things. It sets a variable, and then you can run update-grub. It doesn't matter. It doesn't doesn't uh it ignores the fact that you have just run grub dash set dash default unless you go into the grub slash etsy slash default slash grub uh, file and set grub underscore default equals saved then when you and then, and then you run update grub and then you can do the grub dash set dash default equals four or whatever and then update dash grub, and then that process grabs that variable because it has been saved, because the setting is saved. Again, I, saved doesn't make any sense to me, but but let's just assume, yeah. So it so it's using that variable of four and wrapping it wrapping it into something that it's then putting into the slash boot partition, so that when you 
reboot your computer, Grub Grub uses the the default the the new the the, the Grub default that you have set. So I, I really think that the the workflow there has issues because you you shouldn't have to. I wouldn't think you you shouldn't have to go into an, a configuration file to edit the fact that you want Grub the command to respect the results of Grub dash set dash default. I would think if anything, again that grub-set-default would, at the very least, look at your grub configuration and detect whether grub-underscore-default is set to zero or to saved. And again, horrible two choices, in my opinion. But it would detect whether it's going to be zero or saved and then warn you and say, hey, you've just run this command probably with the expectation that you are as the command name implies, setting the grub default. But actually, your configuration says that we're going to ignore what you have just done. Is that what you want? Because if not, you need to go and edit your configuration file. And I, I think that would make sense. I would I would even honestly, I think there you could make a case for the, the idea that grub-set-default would change. It would flip that bit. It would look at grub default and see that it's set to zero, and it would say, oh, well what this person really wants is for me to it's in if, if you are intentionally invoking grub dash set dash default it is probably with the intention of of setting the default so I, I i think it's it's kind of strange that that your command is overridden by something that has not yet been activated in a different file for a different process that's just that's just me um but once i figured that out by well reading the docs it worked fine i rebooted uh, the menu came up, and the the fourth selection instead of the zeroth selection was highlighted. I waited for it to time out just for kicks, timed out, and it booted right into the system, the the Slackware system at the fourth on the fourth entry. It was it was exactly what I'd expected, and I had struggled with that for ages, probably just all for want of not reading the documentation for grub dash set dash default because I'm telling you. If you look at man grub dash set dash default, it's right there. It's like one of the top, one of the first things it says is in order for this to be effective, you have to change this value in the grub configuration. So it, it is not grub's fault. I mean, I, I still would argue that it's, that the, the, the workflow there is maybe a little bit wonky. Well, no, I wouldn't argue that it's a little bit wonky. I would say it was very wonky. I, I don't I don't think that makes any sense, frankly. And I think it I, I think it is counterintuitive. That's what that's the word I, I'm I'm searching for. I I think that it, it leads you into one direction of of sort of okay, I see what they're doing here and, and then it turns out that they're doing something completely different. So yeah, I don't I don't think that's a good idea. But nevertheless, I mean that's the that's the process and if you read about it then you'll find that out. Why the internet hasn't told me this, I don't know. I mean it is it is really weird to me that it it doesn't appear to be something that is discussed on on like any of the things where I would look up how do I set the default for grub configuration it's just not there and in fact some articles have have it wrong you'll get lots of articles but it's just uh shocking to about how many how many of these do not mention that you have to set grub default grub underscore default to saved rather than to an integer uh, value it's one of those things that might have changed. Maybe I'm just looking at old articles and now the options have changed, or maybe people are just not understanding the documentation correctly, or are they they're intuiting the same thing that I intuited and um and are 
are writing it down without testing it. I'm not sure, but it's um, it, it seems to be a, a point of a lot of confusion. And I think I think Grub would do everyone a favor, really, to to make it a little bit more um, well, I guess, more intuitive. Really, is what it needs. And and I know that the argument is justifiably you should just read the documentation. And I I, I totally think that's that's uh, that's a valid response, right? I mean, look, we wrote it down. Why didn't you read that first? That said, once you figure it out, it works quite well, and it works as designed, and it is nice. It's an automated system. You do not have to worry so much about what Grub is going to present to you. It's just something that when you update your system, Grub is invoked as a as a part of the post-install, and it makes sure that the latest kernel gets moved up to the top and whether or not you like that or not is a completely different story. But I'm enjoying my time with Grub so far. On the, on the desktop, it's serving me well. I feel a lot more educated about it now than I than I had been for the past many years. And and it's it's good to have to have read the manual. Actually, yeah, it's 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 good reading. I don't know. I I keep think, thinking like saying, oh, you should you should check it out. But you're probably using it already. But you should mess around with it. That's what you should do. You should play around with it and see what you can do with it. It's a pretty cool little system. Hey, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you next week. Listening to the GNU World Order Ogcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. you had a tower from which you could see all the streets into all the corners of your city at once in perfect detail, if there were no one whose need you could not see, you'd do what you do now. <laughs>